Welcome to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, where our goal is to connect listeners to the great outdoors with hosts Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. I'm host Ben Brandell, owner of Meant to Be Outdoors, instructor of outdoor skills, and passionate about personal growth. I'm host Brian Hoffmeyer, wildlife biologist and avid outdoorsman. Welcome back to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. I'm your host Brian with my co-host Ben Brandell. This is another Thursday episode, and today we are going to be talking about shed hunting. When I say shed, I'm talking about shed antlers from whitetail bucks. You know, we spent the day out yesterday putting in a lot of miles looking for shed antlers. We want to share some tips and tricks with you. Before we get started, I do have to ask for your help. Whatever platform you're listening on, down at the bottom of our main podcast page there, Sometimes I think on Spotify, it's actually at the top. There'll be a place that says write a review or leave a rating, and we really need your help with that. So what I would ask you to do is go ahead and pause this right now, take a moment, and please leave us a review on our podcast. All right. Now that everybody has paused it, left us a review, and really done us a huge favor taking a moment of your time there, I think it's time for us to give thanks. Giving thanks can be difficult. Especially for me, I find that uh, giving thanks sometimes can be hard. And what I'm realizing in reading and studying the Bible is that joy comes from being thankful. So when I find days that I'm not as joyful um, as I feel I should be, it's probably because I'm not thankful for what I have. And so I think it's so important for us to stop for a minute and, and to think about at least one thing that we are thankful for. And the information that we're about to share in this podcast has helped me to be thankful for food, the appreciation for food. I took a I took a sack lunch out there with me, and as I'm sitting there on that log, I was thinking about back in the days of pioneers that were coming through these areas and how and what type of food that they would have had with them. And here I'm sitting here eating granola bars that have so much sugar in them. Um, I had a fresh apple. I made a turkey sandwich with cheddar cheese. Like I was just sitting there, and I was just thinking about how thankful I was for this type of food and the the taste of the food, how it was so good, the ease. I wasn't I wasn't out having to hunt for it in that moment. And I am so thankful. I was so thankful then. I'm so thankful now for really the availability of the different types of food and how good our food tastes today. Yeah, that's really good. It, and and you made that turkey sandwich with, with turkey that you didn't harvest. You didn't Correct. have to kill it. Yes. It was really easy to kill. Someone else did. That's right. Yeah. You know, Ben, you and I share a, well, we share one of our dreams. One of our big dreams is is really the same, and hopefully we get to do this together someday, but that is to own a farm, a ranch, a big piece of land, whatever you want to call it. Um, One, to nurture and, and to manage for wildlife. We want people to come to it. We want to share with them hunting and fishing and, and team building and all the outdoor activities that we know and love and teach to raise our families on. It's a huge dream. It really is. It's a big dream of ours. But that dream right there is what makes me so thankful that we live in a country that has developed a system that almost no matter where you live, you are within a pretty close driving distance of publicly owned property that you have the right to go to every day. And we spent the day on public property yesterday. And deep down, I mean, I think I even verbalized it several times. We even stopped and prayed about it. We want to have land. We're not able to have that right now. But we also gave thanks. for Man, this is so great that we can come out and enjoy this beautiful creation. And so can so many other people. Because we live in a country that has publicly owned property that is free to go to. I was really, really thankful for that. The reason we went there specifically was to shed hunt. We wanted to find some whitetail buck antlers laying on the ground. You know, I had spent a lot of time at this area as a kid. This is where my dad used to take us to go rabbit hunting. We had beagle dogs, rabbit dogs, and we used to go out there and rabbit hunt. So I have really great memories. So a little sentimental to me, but it's been maybe a couple decades since I've been out there, maybe more. And so wondering do I even remember how to get to these areas that I remember? What do they look like now? I mean, as, as far as growth of plants and what the state has done with the property, that, that could all change. But we found it pretty easily and, and found us a parking lot and looked like an area that there are probably some deer using this time of year, and, and we, we headed in. So, 
before we really talk about our, our trip, I want to talk about the specifics of shed hunting. What is it? What is an antler? Why is this even a, I don't know if you call it a sport. Why is this an outdoor activity? And the biggest thing is, is that one of the reasons I love white-tailed deer, but really all deer species, is that they grow their antlers. It is the fastest growing tissue in the world. It's highly studied, up to two inches per day when it's growing. It's this hard, calcified bone when it's done. Just the whole process is, is so enamoring to me. And I mean, bodybuilders even take the velvet that help grow it and, and think that it helps them get bigger, stronger muscles. And, and maybe it does. I don't know. But there's so much allure around deer antlers because of they're, they're so unique being the fastest growing tissue that's out there. Even more unique is they fall off once every year and then they regrow them, obviously, very quickly. But it's during that time when they fall off, it's usually late winter, early spring. There's not a lot going on as far as fishing, hunting, deer season's over, turkey season hasn't started yet, no mushrooms are up, the white bass aren't running. You want to spend time outdoors, this is a great way to do it. It's also very, very affordable. You don't have to have weapons camo. I mean, really a decent pair of shoes and you're good to go. So you had said the fastest growing tissue. I do want to add in it's the fastest mammalian mammal growing tissue and the reason i want to say that is because there probably is something else on planet earth that grows faster in regards to something but brian truly is talking about mammalian tissue we're talking about your nose hairs don't count what (laughs) now these things that i have (laughs) let me tell you this anybody else out there has got nose hair have you noticed that it's really grows by season and light phases (laughs) so when i find that as we get into these (laughs) <laughs> you're so full of it but um you know shed hunting they're growing annually like brian's talking about they are growing and and letting them go and so there are people that love to go out and find these sheds for a few reasons some people make furniture with mm-hmm. them some people sell them now be careful because some places don't allow you to do that but to sell them some people are using them for furniture some people are only wanting to go out and find them for dog chew toys. Dogs love to chew on them. Absolutely. And if you have dog. to go to the store and buy them, they're so expensive. For you and I, though, I want to go out because I love to just find them and have them. Mm-hmm. Um, because some more uses for them. Some people will find them and actually use them for next season to hunt with. As a, Yeah, a rattle and set. Yeah. Rattle and set. Find a matching pair. I know people that have also mounted them. So they found both. Yep. Left and right sides and mounted them. Yeah. Another and, and the kind of the last reason I want to share is it gives purpose to just hiking. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not a huge fan of just going out and be like, I'm going to go walk today. And so in the springtime, if I need to get out and walk, I love to morale mushroom hunt. So that's a great thing to do. In the wintertime, an excuse to go out and, and walk around and hike is to shed hunt. And right. that's what I was, that was my primary purpose was really to get out and hike um, and hopefully find find those sheds. Yeah, they make great great decorations in the house. People make knife handles out of the antlers. There's a lot of things that you can do with them. Even if you don't do anything with them, and you, that's not really your decoration style, it feels so good. It's like, they're so hard to find. I mean, it's a needle in a haystack, so when you do find one, it's like, I mean, you really feel like you've accomplished something. You found a piece of gold. What color are they, Brian? I mean, what do they, what do they look like? Well, I... It varies um, geographically, and it varies based on the deer health and, and what they were rubbing on, what kind of tree they were rubbing on. But but typically, they're going to be, yeah, kind of a, a bone color. They're, they look like bone, kind of white to yellowish to brown and kind of every shade in between. Once they fall off, once they're shed, they're going to get bleached more and more by the elements, by the sun. They're going to become more and more white. So if you find one that's a couple years old, or maybe at the very end of the season, it's going to be very, very white. Yeah, well, what makes them difficult to find is because they blend in with the same type of coloration of plants on the ground. Right. So during this time of year, our plants are dormant. Yeah, everything's yellow-white. It's yellow-white, yeah. brown, and that's what makes it so difficult to find. It does. We have a little snow on the ground right now, too, and that makes it even more difficult. Um, as far as antlers, I want to talk about like the actual process of shedding because I think this is kind of misunderstood a lot of people think that it's mechanical and that's easy to assume however it's really very hormonal within the body so high testosterone levels 
This high threshold is what causes the antlers to grow and for the velvet to be rubbed off and causes them to go into their breeding season. But as those testosterone levels drop, once they hit this low threshold, it actually signals to the body of the white-tailed deer to release what's called an osteoclast. And an osteoclast is literally a, a bone cell that degradates. It breaks down the connection point where the antler actually connects to the skull called the pedicle. And so... Basically, what causes the hormones to drop is the photo period or the minutes of light in a day. The testosterone level in the deer will drop. The body releases these osteoclasts, and the bone literally starts to become more porous, and the attachment point becomes weaker around that pedicle, and that's what causes the antlers to actually drop or fall off. Uh, that pedicle area will be bloody when they first fall off, so if you ever see a picture right after the antlers fall off, it'll actually be bloody ar around that area um, if, if the deer is healthy. So we'll go ahead and close those off and heal and seal those over until it begins its new growth. Um, for us, it's going to be usually middle of, to end of April. They'll start to regrow their antlers. What so many people get wrong is they think that it's mechanical. They think that these deer are going to go rub or hit their antlers or fight to knock them off. Or people will even put antler traps, which is like areas where they have feed for deer and wires so that they get their antlers stuck in them so that they rip off. And this is such a terrible thing to do. Sometimes they do lose them mechanically, and that is very bad for them. Because that attachment point is actually weakened, and it's still a living connection point, the tissue is soft. And if they are pushed or broken off mechanically, instead of naturally falling off, parts of their skull will actually come with it, mm. and they get a brain abscess. And more times than not, this brain abscess or infection there, bacterial infection around the skull plates, will actually cause them to die. Um, you'll find a lot of skulls when you find... When you find deer skulls on property, one of the first things to look for to see how it died, you can look at all the attachment points at the plates in the skull, and if there's plates that look uh, kind of Swiss cheesy, areas that look like Swiss cheese, that's where an infection was, an abscess was, and it likely leaked into the brain and, and caused this deer to die. So antler traps are a really bad idea, and you don't want these deer to be losing them mechanically. You want it to naturally happen so that they fall off. If you do want to judge the health of the deer that you found these antlers from, or if it's a deer that's on your property, you can actually pick up the antler and look. Is it a nice, clean? Uh, is it a nice, clean cleave where it where it came off of the deer, or is there a little piece of the skull? It's really bad. Also, the shape of that is important. Is it concave or is it convex? You want this to kind of be a bulb that comes out. If it shapes back in concave to the antler, that's a sign that this deer may not be the healthiest and that it maybe wasn't the cleanest shed. But when they're, we're talking about losing them, you talked about blood earlier. Are you going to find blood on the shed or is it just in and on the head that you're talking if about? If you find one that's really, really fresh, yeah, there'll be a little a little blood on the end of the shed. It's not really? a big drip or a big blood clot or anything like that. But absolutely, if you find a really fresh one, it'll be just a little bit bloody there on the end. And the mechanism's the same for all deer species, elk, moose. But if anybody that's listening to this podcast gets to go shed hunt for elk and moose, just know that you make me very, very jealous. There's a video going around of this drone. Um, it's a drone video, and it's a moose. And he's actually shaking his entire body. It's, it's shaking. And it's a really awesome video. But as he's shaking, one antler kicks off to the side and then it was kind of like he's kind of like what and then he, he keeps shaking again and then there goes the other yeah. you know and they, they got it all on that that drone view from up above cool. oh it's such a cool video but that's really why i was asking because you're talking about um the mechanical side that, yeah, that that's a natural way that's the way right. you want them to come off that right. attachment points weak enough that just a simple everyday activity of shaking water or shaking a fly or something away causes it to fall off that that's a very natural way for it to happen and you you do you see a lot of the videos if people are lucky enough to catch it on video they they scare the deer when it falls off it's just this unnatural where the heck did that thing come from like something just dropped from the sky and it'll scare them and jump and maybe cause the other side to fall off but that's because the natural process has happened and those osteoclasts have weakened that connection point at the pedicle you know so now that we know you know what an antler is we know why they're coming off um brian help us I'm wanting to go out. I'm wanting to find these. Help us. Like, if if a deer can all of a sudden just start shaking and they fall off, um, help me to know where should I look? Where am I going? How can I find these things? Well, first of all, it's the time of year. You know, it, it's February, the very beginning of February right now, and this is a good time to start looking. Bucks will actually start shedding their antlers 
as early as December all the way up through March, sometimes right into the beginning of April. And it's very dependent on the local area and the conditions of that deer. The healthier they are, the longer they're going to hold their antlers many times. So if they have injuries going on and their body condition is down, they may lose them as early as December. Uh, and then you got to find where you're going to go. So look around at your public public properties. You can actually do a search for which ones are closest to your house. It's going to tell you how far away they are. You did that, and you actually found that there was one 10 miles from your house where you've lived your whole life, and you didn't even know it was there. So you just have to do some research and find where these public whether they're federal or state-owned properties are, there's probably both within driving distance of where you're living. If you own land, run a trail camera or two, and you'll start to see bucks that have shed their antlers, and you'll get an idea of, all right, it's time to go. You know, we actually, breaking news, we actually didn't find any shed antlers yesterday, <laughs> unfortunately, even though it was not for a lack of effort. And where we went had really good habitat. I'm going to say it had really good wildlife habitat, and it is possible that a large percentage of these bucks here in early February still has their antlers. They still are. They still have them on their head. Right, and that's that was the only um, down really downside to going out was was we're kind of brought on that line of of they they still could be on the head. So right. we may just be hiking around here and not finding anything. Um, and we haven't been in the area. We haven't seen deer in the area. We don't have trail cameras or we don't have any recent information at all. We're just going off that we know bucks in our area are shedding. And we saw some back in the very end of December on a property here locally, but it was a lot less healthy property as far as wildlife habitat that we actually saw antlers on a buck. And then two days later, the same buck didn't have antlers. You know, but as we were on this property, we were starting to find all kinds of sign so starting off found some rubs and that kind of gave me hope but then it was kind of like where's the poop where are the deer we weren't busting anything up we weren't really i wasn't even finding any beds i thought right. we found some beds but i think it was just the snow that had collapsed some of the grasses there um as we continued on really into the middle of this property whew, man brian we started seeing awesome trails a lot of poop. Right. And that's really the first step, or I, I guess second step. First is where are you going to go? Where are you going to go look? And then once you get there, I like to start in areas that look thick. This time of year, it is important to understand that white-tailed deer greatly reduce their home range, meaning they're going to stay in a tighter area. What's important to them right now is food and cover, mm -hmm. place to get out of the weather and stay warm, and how they keep their bodies full of fat and their bellies full. That's to help them stay warm in these cold times. The rut's over. You've got a bunch of pregnant does out there that need all the nutrition so that they can grow these babies. You've got bucks that have lost 25% of their body weight going through the rut. They need to build their bodies back up. So greatly reduced home ranges. You're going to look for cover and food. And then once you find an area that looks like, man, that's good wildlife cover. And remember, wildlife cover, I'm going to say, is from five feet and down to the ground or from the ground up to five feet. So finding these thick areas. And then get in there and you got to start looking around and you're looking for this sign. That's going to tell you you're in the right area. And, and you mentioned a few, Ben. Rubs on trees are, are decent. Most of those are made earlier in the year when they have their antlers. But it's going to tell you that this is an area that's used by deer. You can find old scrapes that were still happening during the rut and post-rut. But what you're really looking for right now is active trails and beds. So places that deer have bedded down and matted down. Trails that have fresh tracks in the mud and lots of fresh scat. When you start seeing scat and lots of piles of scat close together, you know this is a, an area that more than one deer is using and an area that they're using more than more than just a one-off. They're using it consistently uh, over and over again. So once you start seeing sign, then you can really kind of slow down and focus in on this area and making sure you're hitting all the high percentage areas that we're going to highlight here in just a second. Stay in the areas that have a lot of deer sign, cover a lot of miles, keep your eyes peeled, and it's really just kind of a relaxed thing. So if you get tired, sit down and take a break. If you get hungry, sit down and eat some food. And there's really no pressure to shed hunting uh, other than if you really, really want to find one, which I don't even really get too caught up on that because I just enjoy being out there so much. So help us with this. Um, we are looking for sheds. Those come from male deer called bucks. I want to be where the, duck, uh, where the bucks are at um, when you're finding feces. Mm-hmm. Is that going to tell us anything, doe versus buck, male versus female? Are we going to, 
Are we going to see a sign where we're kind of like, you know what, this is where the bucks are? Because as a biologist, can you tell us, are the bucks and does going to be hanging together on all these trails and all these places when we're bedding down? Give us some specifics on that. Yeah, so this time of year, again, they the testosterone levels are down. So you've got bucks coming back together in groups, does coming back together. They're going to focus on these areas where the food and the bedding are, and they're going to share that because there's not this division. They're not fighting for breeding rights. They really are. They will all be together. One thing I'm going to look for is these tracks and the scat and the size of it. Bucks have bigger bodies, so they're going to have bigger scat, and they're going to leave bigger tracks. Now, that's not a super scientific or super fail-safe way, but they can kind of give you a sign of, am I seeing a bunch of yearling tracks or am I seeing a bunch of two and three-year-old, you know, bigger tracks? It's, it's pretty pretty simple. Bigger deer leave bigger tracks and bigger scat. And so if you're seeing some of that in the area, uh, you know you're probably in an area that, that has some bucks. Again, you can look at sign that bucks may have left earlier in the year that's exclusive to bucks, like rubs on trees or scrapes on the ground. And you know this is an area that they're using, but you do have to take it for granted. Sorry, you do have to take it with a grain of salt because remember their home range is now reduced. So they may have used this area during the rut. So you are you could be close to the edge of their range where they're at now, but their home range is not the same as it was three months ago. All right, so now that we have really some tips on some of that, what if we need some extra help? Are we allowed to to use dogs or their animals? I know that there are people that train dogs and, and to really find these for humans, but um, do you know on public land, can we can we and should we? And, and is that something that, that you like to do? Yeah, you absolutely can, can take a shed dog if you have a trained shed dog. Now, don't think that you're just going to take your dog that is just your house dog that you're going to take out there and it's going to find your shed antlers. They do. There is some training that has to go into this, but it is very useful. You can take them out there. Uh, I have worked with shed dogs in the past, um, and it's not cheating. I'll tell you that because it's still really difficult uh, keeping up with the dog, looking at the areas they're going. For me, it was always like, am I really trusting this dog? Like, is it really looking for sheds right now, or is it just smelling every smell under the sun? Because they're kind of going crazy. Um, a downside to that is a lot of places where sheds are right now are these kind of sanctuary areas, uh, these bedding areas that I don't necessarily love taking a dog into. Mm-hmm. I don't want deer to know that that this dog is going to be coming in these areas, uh, but I don't have anything against using a dog to find shed antlers. It is cool when they come running back to you with one in their mouth. Um, try to pay attention to where the dog is so that you can go get that information from where that shed was picked up, because there's a lot of information to, to be ga- gained there. There's just so many great reasons to go shed hunting besides getting antlers or spending time with your dog or spending time with your friends. I'm, just the exercise alone is is awesome. Right. You shared about the dog picking up and bringing it to you. When you're out shed hunting without a dog, and you come up and, and you find that one shed, that single shed whether it be the left or right side um so when you find that side when you find that one side of the shed um are you gonna find the second one and if you don't what do you do what's what what are we looking for there so it is a really good tip man that you bring up when you find a shed nothing makes it better than finding the matching side to mm-hmm. the other side especially if it's a big one and a lot of times they do drop them in a, in a short distance of each other because the body I mean, they're on the same animal, so the osteoclast being released and that attachment being weakened all started at the same time inside this animal. So a lot of times they do fall off close to each other. You mentioned the moose where one fell off and scared him, and then he shook, and then the other side fell off. So once you find one, really do a focused search, like in a 50-yard circle. I mean, really, really focused search. Multiple times I have found matching sets 10, 15 yards from each other. These things can hide so easy. It's crazy the way they hide. You don't think that they would be hard to see, but you can. You, I have been on properties for decades and never found a shed. Wasn't really shed hunting, but you think if they were easy to find, just spending time out right. there, you would find them. But you really do have to kind of hone in on these areas and be diligent about what you're looking for to find these things. Every once in a while, you just stumble on one, but that is pretty rare. I do want to say it's not exclusive. 
that they always lose them close together. Sometimes one may fall off, and then another day or two later, the other one may fall off. So they could be very, very spread out, but a, it, a high percentage of time, they're going to fall off relatively close in time frame to each other. So there's a couple things I learned from you while going out shed hunting. Um, one is be looking at that area um, that you may find your first one. So fences creek crossings those areas where that body is is the body of the deer is going to be doing something different so they're not just slow walking moving when a deer jumps especially over a fence and they land that could cause that antler Mm -hmm. to shed right there and so if you find an antler shed there that's going to tell you a little bit of different information than if you're finding um a bedding area you know if you walk into that that where that grass has been matted down from their body laying on top of it and you find a shed there you know, that's, that's telling you different information that you're probably going to more likely find the second shed in that area versus when you come upon a fence and you see the shed laying right by that fence, you might not find the second one. So kind of really reading the, the lay of the land, what is around you, what are these deer having to do to get from point A to point B? Mm-hmm. And again, we struck out, so we didn't find a shed. However, we were in an area with lots and lots of deer and so much sign. So, so much, much sign, sign that that we really felt like it was probably early. Right. So we want to go back again. But here's another tip for shed hunting, kind of getting into to man made. So we talked about going out and just hiking, just using your eyes. You know, you took binoculars. That was helping too. We talked about you could use dogs, train dogs if you had them. But another is maps. And one of my maps is, is is you and I, we went out and we could literally re-hike the same place we went to. And so if we were wanting to do a two-day, a three-day hike hunt, then we would want to use maps, produce maps, maps that even these public areas have put out. You want to use your maps because you don't want to, to cover the same ground that you just walked the day before. But I can also turn around and use those maps next week mm-hmm. so let's say that we because we found those areas that were so heavy with sign i want to hit them again and exactly again and that's what's so great about our watches today our phones today when you have them on when you have them turned on especially the apps there are so many apps out there that can, that can track for you use those to increase your chance of finding more sheds each time that you go out and a maps is, is a great way to do that yeah and you've kind of started talking about these high percentage areas, you know, the, the fence crossings and, and bedding areas. I'm going to go ahead and, and share this list I've made here of areas that if I come across, I'm for sure going to check those. And, and the first is bedding areas. And what a bedding area is, is literally where these deer are going to bed down, where they're going to get out of the weather, to get away from predators, where they're going to rest. They have to rest just like all their animals. So what you're going to look for is these thick areas with cover low to the ground. And what's awesome is, during the winter months, they're more accessible to humans. They're more accessible. You don't have the ticks and the chiggers, and you can actually see to some of these areas that you may not even see into before. You can actually access them and see the trails that are going to them, and you can start looking for deer beds, and you'll literally see areas that are matted down in the shape of a deer body, whether it be in the snow or grass or in the leaves. You can see them in the shape and size of a deer matted down, and we found a few of those but typically they're going to be in these areas that provide some some cover from the elements and predators. Next is travel corridors. If you find a deer trail, if you find a trail that has a bunch of deer, fresh deer tracks on it, and you can look left and right and see this thing going, well, that's where they walk. So that's where they travel. Get on it and travel and follow it. And we followed miles and miles of deer trail yesterday, and I mean down to the dirt and mud so many tracks hard to distinguish one from the other so much scat we followed miles and miles of heavy use traffic deer trail yesterday we didn't find any antlers but we did find a lot of sign and a lot of areas that we want to revisit as well the next one i want to talk about is if you have a property sometimes even public property will have food plots and food is so important again this year this time of year they're they're growing fawns they're pregnant they're recovering from the rut they're going to hit food over and over and over again in a very predictable manner. So if it's a spot they're spending a lot of time, you may find antlers out there. One I want to throw in, I used to feed hay to a group of horses on a a horse ranch um, in the same spot, same couple spots all winter long. 
and I really had to look for deer antlers around these areas, what would happen with this, this hay where I was feeding it would be like a mulch. So as things started to warm up or you had these warm days, underneath it would be all these little green things that would come up. And the deer weren't really feeding on the hay, but they were going to feed on all these little green forbs and fresh plants underneath the hay that this hay was mulching over. And so with the tractor, you had to really watch out for these antlers that were shed in this area because they would, you run over one and it will puncture a tire, absolutely. So I found several that way around these hay rings and hay areas because of the mulch. A lot of people think that they're out there just feeding on the hay. They may find something here and there in the hay to take a bite of if it's alfalfa hay or it's got some clover cut up into it, but really they're they're getting all the, the green that's growing underneath the mulch. So some of those high percentage areas are where the food is. Find areas where they're feeding and you're going to probably find some shed antlers. Uh, supplemental feed sites, so if people are feeding corn or protein stuff to their animals this time of year, Obviously, they're going to the food. They're going to go to it. It's free. It's easy. Pretty self-explanatory place to check. You mentioned fence crossings. How do you even know, Ben, when you get to a, oh, this is the place where the deer are crossing the fence. Well, how do you even know that? You know, one one way is um, hair that's actually in the barbed of the fence. But that would be in an area where you actually don't see much of a, a trail on the ground because, man, where we were at, it looked like a highway. <laughs> I mean, the trail that that trail walked, if you walked it, um, you knew it was active because there was so much mud. Mm. So because there was snow on the ground before we went, we saw a lot of game trails, but a lot of them were covered in snow. When you, when you turn your head and you see a game trail that has no snow on it and looks muddy, and you look to the left and there's one that's covered in snow, I would take the one with the mud. Right. And that's what we did is we were hiking these trails. Brian, they didn't dead end. They stopped at the fence for us because we had to cross them. Whereas deer, you could see them landing on right. the other side. You could see the, the difference in the footprint changes of landing on the other side. So you first could see this trail. I have been in areas, though, where the trails, there were so many trails, and they, they didn't look active. Um, they weren't easy to see that they were active. That I could I found that hair, and there was a lot of hair that we found yeah, embedded. stuck in the fence where they stuck rub on it. Yeah. in that fence, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, you watching you really survey the land helped me as well and and i know you know you guys listening may not may not know all the information there is in regards to plants but it is really important to know your plant species and and i've learned a lot going with brian and so when he was standing there looking he was talking about the different vegetation um the different vegetation that a, a deer is going to lay in this this vegetation more than he will and this other, and what I mean is, there are areas that we were walking that there was so thick because you're talking about thick cover, mm -hmm. but I'm not talking about thick cover that's with invasive, invasive um, viney plants that we're tripping and, and can't get through. Like right. we're talking about thick from bottom up to your waist. That when you look out over this this farmland, you couldn't tell if a deer's laying down or not. Mm -hmm. But looking at the vegetation of what are they going to be eating? Because you're talking a lot about food. Okay, you've talked a lot about food and shelter. And so this area that we went to, they actually had fenced in wooded areas. And outside of that was all of what we're going to call grasses, you know. And so it was a shock for me because you're talking about how do we know if they were the crossing on that fence. Well, it was very clear because these trails literally walked through these open pastures, through the grass, and then you literally ran right into a fence. Mm -hmm. But I don't know in other public areas, um, are there any other things to look for when, when you know deer may be crossing, but you don't know where? Well, deer are creatures of habit, and they love the path of re least resistance, just like humans do. So they typically are going to cross fences a lot of times. Many times if they're crossing the fence, it's going to be in the same place over and over again, and many deer are going to be using the same crossing. And usually it's just because it's easy. They're trying to survive. They need to mitigate their risk and use the least amount of energy possible. So it may be things as simply as if it's a good fence all the way down, it's hard for them to get under. There's no place for them to get through or over. It may simply be where the vegetation is the thinnest and they have a clear path on either side to get a good jump. But a lot of times it's going to be maybe the bottom strand is broken and they can duck under or the top strand is broken and they can jump easier or there's no middle strand and they can go through. Or a lot of times if you're not running livestock, there may be a place where the fence is completely broken and I can promise you there's going to be a highway there. I, we came across one yesterday and I said, Ben, look at this. 
There is nothing on either side of this, and there's one little two-foot area where the fence is completely broken. And I mean, it looked like people were riding dirt bikes through there. It was such a heavy trail. So it really is just going to be where it is easiest and safest for them, and they're going to use it over and over again. So look for the trail, look for hair on the fence, look for places where the fence is broken or easy to cross. If you can cross it easier, so can they. Right, and that's another thing I want to add that I learned was coyote. So we saw so much scat from a coyote. I mean, so much. It was it was all along the trail and the sides of the trail. But is that a good good thing to find as well? If you're starting to find coyotes and you're finding that scat, you're finding maybe even some of their fur or or their tracks. You know, we saw a lot of dog track. And this isn't an area where where humans take their dogs out on a leash and walk these trails. I mean, right. we know it was coyote. Does that help tell a story too for us to to know where the deer are going to be so that we can also find the shed? Well, there there was one area kind of the beginning where we started that I wasn't seeing deer tracks and and uh, scat. All I was seeing was coyote tracks, and I was kind of looking at you like, man, this this ain't it. We're not in the right spot. However, if you're going down a deer trail, these coyotes are hunting the same deer that you are. They, they're looking for the food too. They're also going to travel the path of least resistance. So really you're just in an area that is good for wildlife. If you have good wildlife habitat, it's good for all wildlife, not just deer. It's right. good for coyotes, deer, uh, rabbits, turkeys, mice, everything. It's good for all of them. So yeah, it, it, just a sign that you're in a good area and that you're you're using a trail that is active if you're seeing deer tracks there if you're seeing coyote tracks and you're not seeing deer sign then yeah you need to change areas and that's cool so that does tell a story that means you're you're in the wrong spot right get out of there for sure good you know we found a really good creek crossing too we had to cross back and forth across a beautiful creek a couple times that was so beautiful matter of fact this creek crossing had a bluff line mm-hmm. and where the water was seeping out of the bluff, this water was frozen. Right. Was just these icicles coming down the side. And matter of fact, you posted that on, on TikTok. Yeah. And, and if if you want to hear and see what this looks like, you need to get on our TikTok account and check it out. You you let the sound of just the water play. There's mm-hmm. it's just you can hear that that water rolling. You can see these ice beautiful area. I'm so glad you you showed me this spot. Yeah, it is really pretty. And as we walked we we found again, just like fences deer have to cross these creeks too to get in and out of the areas that they want we found an area that was down a bank and up the bank on the other side and it was so clear like this is where the deer are crossing Mm -hmm. down down to mud wide lots of tracks slick on both sides it was so clear and as you looked up and down the bank there were no other areas it was shallow it was clear of brush on both sides really it was just a easy path for them to get down and across without actually having to swim do deer try to jump creeks or do they walk through them what's because when i shared earlier about those crossings from fence to maybe even waterways and and because of that jarring of their body when they jump you might find that shed there mm-hmm. but do deer do deer just walk through water more than trying to jump it do we know i i mean just really through observation if if they can if it's shallow and they can walk across it it's no big deal for them their their hooves aren't going to get cold like your toes get cold ben well that's another thing because <laughs> my feet weren't cold because of i think we walked six and a half we get six six miles miles in and so crossing this creek area that's another thing that i want to share with you when shed hunting dress correctly because we crossed um across the waterways two or three times Mm -hmm. and you and i had waterproof shoes on and man that made it so much more comfortable for our our winter hike Mm -hmm. if our feet would have been wet it would not have been fun to go out and and shed hunt and so while you're shed hunting, you may be crossing creeks. Um, There's even some some areas that were kind of bigger, like a river, and we couldn't cross it. We had to go down and find another way to get across so that we weren't wet. So I'm glad you brought that up because it is just shed hunting is fun, and yes, deer don't need shoes, but we have to take care of our yeah, feet. And the better so equipment makes it easier for you. Make sure you're wearing that the, the correct equipment when you yeah. go out for sure. Good socks, good good dry shoes, shoes that you can walk and cover cover some miles in. I would say dress. So if you get out of the truck and you're like, oh, I'm a, I'm about right, I'm a little warm, but I don't want to get cold out there, you're going to be moving and hiking. Take one layer off. Yep. Dress down one layer 
and, and you'll be good. It, it, it was uh, right around 40. To, it was about 30 when we started. It was about 40 when we finished. And really just, just a, a T-shirt and a hoodie and jeans was, was enough to stay warm because you're moving. You're, you're out there moving and hiking, and, and you don't want to be too hot because then you're going to start sweating, and then you're going to get cold and, and have no place to put the clothes that you have to take off. So it, it is kind of a balance of understanding of dressing the right way. Now, I've shared this tip before, but I want to share it one more time. Even if you think you have waterproof shoes, they could fail you. So you don't know. You don't know until you go out and actually submerge your foot into that water. But if you wear a wool sock with that shoe, hopefully your your shoe doesn't fail. But if it does when you're crossing that creek, now that you have a wool sock on, your feet will stay warmer. A whole lot warmer than wearing cotton or something thin little socks so when you're hiking in the winter time make sure to wear a wool sock because even if your foot gets wet from sweat or crossing any kind of of waterway your feet will stay warmer for that winter hike yeah wool's actually really good uh, to help you prevent blisters too it it can really be a good barrier between your skin and your shoe you know at these this heavy creek crossing i was so confident as we're going up the other side i think i even turned to you and said when we get to the top, there's going to be a shed, and, and there wasn't, but uh, it, it was so heavily trafficked, I knew it was a good spot to be looking. Uh, the last place I want to share is roadways. So if there's logging roads or just gravel roads, any any kind of road through a property, maybe it's just a place where the tractor goes in, in between fields, check those areas. You want to walk there, and so do the deer too, so it is going to be an area that they're going to be spending some time and frequenting to, to move around these properties. So roadways are, are just great paths of least, least resistance for these deer to be traveling. You know, Ben, we, we've hinted at some other reasons to go shed hunting besides just finding sheds. What are, what are some of your favorite other kind of, I guess, subsidiary reasons to get out? So to get out in the wintertime, um, let me share it this way, a little bit backwards. I love to winter hike because there are no ticks and there are no mosquitoes. So that is a an amazing number one reason. Number two, you can see. So your your canopy and your forests, um, you know, all the leaves have now fallen off the trees. So you can see well, here's an example. We were setting up on a on the top of a ridge, um, out in an open prairie. You and I eating lunch. Yeah, we stopped at a cool little spot to eat. And, and there was actually a tree that had fallen on its side, and we're like, hey, that's that's going to be an awesome seat. And it was wet and muddy. We wanted to be off the ground. The ground was super soggy, and we didn't want to sit on it, so we found that log. And, and while we were there, you were like, what is that over there? And you could see on the other ridge through the trees an opossum. Mm-hmm. And if, if you had a full canopy up, you wouldn't have been able to see that opossum. So, you know, you can see so much farther. Um some animals that I was able to see because that canopy, I saw a kite. You taught me a, a, I was like, what is this bird hanging out here? And you're like, it's a kite. Yeah, it was a bird of prey. But you could see that so much more clear. Um, We saw, what else did we see? We saw some more animals. We saw other wildlife. That's part of the, that is one of the bonus things of going out there. You may not find sheds, but you're going to encounter other wildlife. Obviously squirrels and we didn't see any rabbits, although it was really good rabbit habitat, but we saw some areas where those coyotes that we've been tracking mm-hmm. <laughs> had taken care of some rabbits, but uh, we did. We saw a coyote. You'd pushed one out in front of you, a couple of opossums, and we saw a bald eagle fly right over our heads, which was really cool, and we did actually find three deer carcasses. We, we found three dead deer as well. And so that's, a, that's another reason why I like to go out is because I'm going to see wildlife, all kinds of different wildlife. Um, and you can see them a lot easier because, again, you can see better. I'm not fighting the ticks and mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. I can't stress that enough how, how frustrating it is in the summertime um, when you get into those. So wintertime is so amazing because you can get out and hike and you're not going to get overly hot. That cool temperature outside, you moving and hiking, it really comes together and makes for a nice, awesome hike. Yeah, the exercise is great, too. Mm-hmm. You know, just going to exercise for the sake of exercising, whether well, it's to I, the I hate gym exercise. Tread- I, you keep talking about exercise. I didn't even realize I exercised. Right. That's what's nice that, about that's it. That's my point. It's mm-hmm. like whether you, if you're going to go play basketball or hike or spend time outdoors, you're exercising without realizing your exercise. Six miles of hiking is great exercise. Great uphills and downhills and, and climbing. So the exercise alone is worth it. Scouting for the next year if you're a hunter. It's good. Is awesome. While we were out there, I found a place that I want to try and duck hunt. 
I found a place that I want to deer hunt. I found a place that I may even want to turkey hunt because we found some turkey scat out there. You know, finding the boundaries of this property was a big thing for us. I have been to this property before, but not as far as we went. And so really understanding the boundaries and seeing some of these areas and understanding how the land lays out and it all works together, giving me this understanding, really learned a lot about it. Um, where the parking lots are, where the roads are, all of these things, just out generally doing some scouting. We even found a primitive camping area that you're allowed to go to that we're mm-hmm. like, man, maybe we should bring our, our kids or some friends out here and, and do some primitive camping. Just getting an idea of what's available to you so that when you do have that urge or that time to go spend time outdoors, whatever activity it is, knowing where you're going and having been there before, that comfort level is going to give you a little more confidence to hopefully go spend that time outdoors. And I want to finish with this. The time outdoors is the most important thing of everything we're talking about here. Whether it's the exercise, spending time, it is the time outdoors. Our lives are so busy, we are so comfortable, and we are such indoors people. Getting outdoors, I wish I, wish I had more of the science and the explanation and the psychology side. I wish I knew more of that. But just from experience and using my own story, Ben, recently I've kind of been struggling. I'm going to call it anxiety, but just this this pit in my chest and my stomach, not even being able to go to sleep because of it, just this, this kind of overall being weighed down and asking Christ to take it. When we sat down and ate lunch yesterday, everything that's going on in our lives was still going on. Nothing has changed except for we were outdoors, and I didn't feel that way anymore. I use the word restorative. Spending time outdoors is restorative. If you are feeling down, get out with the Creator. Jesus did so much of his teaching and preaching outdoors. People were coming to Christ in the outdoors. You are part of creation. The outdoors and nature is his creation. So when you're out there with it, you have all the distractions away and you are with him. You're you're with what he has made for you to enjoy. The Bible tells us that creation, we're without excuse because nature testifies to him, testifies to his divinity and his power and his creation. And so when you're out there with it, then there really is a peace and, and restorative thing that happens. I love it, and I really like I. I don't know how to get more people to do it, but it is my passion to inspire people to get out there and just do something outdoors. Brian, I align with you. People listening may not feel the same way, and let let me explain. You found peace, and I really believe that that you were in that, that peaceful state because you were comfortable, because you knew where to go, you knew what to do, and you knew what wildlife lived there to give you that that comfort of nothing's going to hurt me. And so that's what I want to share right now to those listening of you can you can experience the same thing Brian and I did. I want to give you a few tips. There's a lot more that goes with this, but I want to give you a few tips. Number one is location. Find out where you can go. In every state there's there's public land, you know. I'm going to talk about Missouri. It's called Missouri Department of Conservation. There are going to be conservation sites in every state. So if you're, if you're in another state besides Missouri, find the free public land. That's number one. Find where you can go. Mm-hmm. Number two is once you find where to go, look for maps. When you start finding maps, you're going to start finding a lot of information of the boundaries. You're going to find information of what's in here, what, to, what are what. there. How to get to that spot, but what's in here. You know, there are like the maps that we we're talking about. We're looking at prairies, we have ponds, and we had some forests. So there are all kinds of wildlife that could live in that type of habitat. So depending on the state, you're gonna it's going to help you to know what is living there. And on a lot of these maps, on these public maps, they will have bewares. They've got bewares because they want you to go out and, and use it because it's for you. And so they're going to put things to beware of. And if you're scared of those bewares, then look for places that don't have those bewares. You know, mm-hmm. there are places that won't have bear. There are places that won't have water for different animals. My point is, is you can find a location that you can get comfortable with to start your adventure on. So find the location, find out how to get there. And then next, 
what do you need? What equipment should I be taking? It yep. doesn't take a whole lot. No, it doesn't. Not for shed hunting, for sure. And for shed hunting, we're just, you know, Brian and I made sure that we took water and we love to eat. So we took some snacks. We didn't have to have food, but we sure took it. But you need to have a good, you know, clothing, good yeah. a good set of shoes. And so find those places, know what to take. And then the third is you have to go do it. So pick a date, pick a time, make sure you have plenty of time. You know, don't try to rush. You know, I've got two hours. Let's just go do this. Make sure you have a half day, a full day, and go out and do it. And you know what? If you don't find a shed, who cares? You have now found a new place that you can go and explore and play. And and you're going to get comfortable the more and more you go Mm -hmm. to that spot and you do it. And I challenge you to do that. Go do that. It will lead into things that Brian is telling you that, that he feels restored when he goes out. Because all of those things that you may fear, you won't fear because you've experienced them, you've done them, and now you're over it, you've, you've achieved it, and you can move on to a different level, which is what Brian's talking about here. And, and I challenge you in that. Go do that. Yeah, a couple of things that, that stood out with what you said there is the food. I love having a meal outdoors. It's a picnic. I even I yeah, it was just a, a sandwich and a banana yeah. what we had or granola bars. Mm-hmm. But just finding a place to sit down. We wanted a place that had sunshine and off the ground and we found that a place that we could see and observe. But just sitting there and, and sharing a meal together in the outdoors, I I don't really have anything other to say that I love it. I enjoy it. I enjoyed the whole day so much. I Throughout, we kept stopping and saying, this is so awesome. This is so beautiful. This is so fun. I feel so good. It wasn't super warm. It wasn't super cold. You, you, you're you never going to have the perfect conditions to go outdoors. Put it on the calendar. Find a spot to go. Um, the gear that we took, just to specifically, we each had a binocular pack on our chest with our binoculars. How that helps is if, if you can have a good vantage point, you can look and say, hey, I might want to go over there. In the outdoors, from a distance with the naked eye, things look so different up close. So you may look and be like, oh man, that looks like a, I'll use an example here for specifically to shed hunting. That looks like a good bedding area over there. It looks nice and thick and some good native grasses. And you get over there and the grasses are spaced out four feet. And you're like, this is this is terrible habitat. But if you could throw up a, a set of binoculars and look over there, Awesome. Or maybe you think you see a shed because your eyes start playing tricks on you when you're out there. Right. You can throw your binoculars up and, and look and see, oh, yes, it is, or, or or no, it's not. Binoculars is great. If you don't have them, you don't need to have them. But if you do have a set, I recommend taking them. If you have a good day pack, backpack, take a backpack with you. You could put your water, your lunch, extra, uh, extra layer of clothing in there if you need to. I suggest keeping just what you think you might need. Don't overdo it little first aid kit i think is a, is a big deal um something else don't make it heavy there. basically is what i'm saying yeah you want to keep your like yeah minimal but add in um some paracord so take some paracord you know i always carry paracord so that's always going to be in there but you had brought up the point of if you find several sheds mm-hmm. you want to be able to tie them to yeah, that, you can lash that them. pack or if you did not take in a day pack and you want to keep it that light then you can tie all them together and throw them over your shoulder and, and carry out your sheds that way. So taking some paracord can't hurt super light. Yep. You know, if something you want to go to, real minimal, take two feet. That's it. You know, something to lash them together is super important because if you do find sheds, stick them in your backpack stinks because they poke you in the back. No matter which way you position them, a backpack just well, not hopefully, a great you're way. finding that big monster buck anyway, right. and it won't even fit in your pack. Exactly. So, <laughs> so you got to um, hang them. And then, yeah, well, if you find two, three, then you've got your hands full and you're trying to hike, bring some lashing so you can lash them to your backpack or, yeah, throw them over your shoulder. That, that is a really important thing. We brought it but didn't have to use it. Um, I do want you to share, before we, we wrap this up, this is kind of a legal thing, and um, I do want you to share with, with people. So we found dead deer. You and I found, we found a skull. We found um, some rib cages. Uh, we even found some um cow or a cow rib cage yeah, from probably a landowner years ago but um if you are out looking for sheds and you find a dead deer's skull the antlers are still attached is that considered a shed can i keep them what's what's the rules on that 
Well, I can really only speak for Missouri because that's the only regulations that I know. But whatever state that you're in, you should look these up before you go out shed hunting. In Missouri, to find an actual shed antler detached from the skull, you need no permit to possess. You can pick them up and take them home. However, if you find what I call a dead head, antlers attached to a, a skull that has uh, a deer that is deceased, died, passed away, you have to get a possession permit. So can you take it? Yes, but you must first call your local conservation agent, game warden, game and fish agent, whatever you want to call them. You must call them first, and they will come meet you and provide you with a possession permit. But you cannot just take a deer skull or deer carcass from the woods, just the antlers. That That's perfect. You know, I also have, have read and, and learned that there are some public places that allow or that don't allow you to just take sheds. Um, some places require you to purchase a permit to go in and remove sheds. So right. depending on your location, again, number one thing is to find your location. And once you find out where you want to go, learn the rules and the laws to that land of, of where you're going before you go. Absolutely. Brian, I want to, I want to share this with you in closing for me is, um, you, you taught me a lot on this trip. You know, growing up, I didn't go out and shed hunt. It wasn't something that um, anyone really ever taught me. It was I, I found a shed accidentally, maybe out doing something else. Um, but for a winter activity, you know, when your fly fishing spots are closed up, um, your duck hunting, you can't duck hunt anymore, deer season's over. Um, this is such an awesome winter activity, and, and you taught me a lot going out and actually shed hunting. So I want to thank you for that, and I want to thank you for making it fun while going out. And so take a friend. Take family. Take friends. Take, take your kids. Take some people out with you because, you know, you may need that moment by yourself, but, man, it is so much more fun when you have someone to do it with. Yeah, when I wanted a moment by myself, I just said, Ben, you go down that trail. I'm going to go this way. <laughs> no, I I did. I, I really enjoyed my, my time out there with you yesterday. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm i passionate about the outdoors and the flora fauna and, and especially deer. So uh, sometimes I probably overshare, but I, I do just love sharing. And I appreciate you being, being willing to, to listen. And, and I'm glad that you're teaching me that I'm teaching you something. And you teach me a lot as well as we go. I really want everyone to take from this some inspiration to go outdoors, even if it's not shed hunting. I would love for you to go shed hunting, but please hear me when I say it is going to make you feel better. I, I really, really believe that. Find those areas that you have fear, whether it be I don't know what to wear. Educate yourself in that area. Man, I think I might get eaten by a bear. Educate yourself on where, where you're going to go. Could I get eaten by a bear out there? And then go spend time out there. And that's the best way to conquer fears. You know, when I first started training animals, uh, I used to always tell people, I'm scared of alligators and I'm scared of sharks. And I had an alligator <laughs> that I had to train and, and catch and carry and teach with. Well, once I started doing it, guess what? I'm, I'm not scared of alligators anymore. So really just doing it is so important if we can help you in any way no matter where you live even if you just want us to take you if you just want to send us an email and say hey i want a good waterproof shoe to go out in can you send me some ideas we will be so so thankful to take the time to do that for you it doesn't it doesn't even matter if we know you or not any kind of questions we would love to help you get and spend time outdoors here's two ways you can do that our company is meant to be outdoors that is m-e-a-n-t space the number two and the letter b to be and then lastly outdoors so our email address is m to be outdoors at gmail.com you can also go to our facebook if you want to direct message us you can do that if you want to post it for everyone to, to also weigh in on you know, we have a lot of people that are following us on Facebook, and they may have places that Brian and I have never been to, too. So, you know, ask the whole community that we have there on our Facebook. Ask us directly. Any questions that you guys have, please reach out to us. If we don't know the answer, we'll definitely do our research to find it for you as well. One last thought I just thought of. We talked a lot about public land today, 
It can be private land. It can be private land that you don't own. If you know somebody that owns land, all you have to do is ask. A lot of times, if they're not shed hunters, they'll be like, yeah, go. Yeah, go have fun. Enjoy, because you're not harming. Respect their land when you go, but you never know till you ask, and the worst they can say is no. So if there's a place where you know there's a lot of deer, or maybe it's just your neighbors, and you're like, I'd like to go check out their property, knock on their door, send them a message, the worst they can say is no. Please understand, we love you. We want you to spend time outdoors. If there's any way we can help, we'd be glad to do so. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Hit the automatic download and subscribe button on whatever platform you listen to the podcast. We would love for you to leave us a review. If you didn't earlier in the podcast, it would really, really greatly help us. We want to get our message out to more and more people so that we can inspire them to spend time outdoors as well. That is it for the shed hunting episode of the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. We'll be back on Tuesday with a brand new episode. And as always, between now and that time, we hope that you find time to get outdoors. Thank you for listening to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, hosted by Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. Please help us by subscribing. Also, follow along on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook.